0: to the crosspoint church podcast we are a church that is for the city in edmonton alberta canada we are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of jesus so if you're just joining us for the first time we would love for you to check out our website thecrosspointchurch.ca there you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at crosspoint now let's listen to this week's sunday message Morning, church. There it is. You're here. It's a great morning to worship together. Uh, today we're continuing our series in the book of Ruth. We've called it "Redeeming Love," and this has been such a refreshing time in the Word of God, hasn't it? Um, and so today we're just going to get right into it because I believe God has a word for us this morning. And as always, I just want to remind you that we have message notes at thecrosspointchurch.ca/slash/notes. Uh, And these are just a great way for you to follow along and maybe more importantly to take note of what God is teaching you personally uh, in the book of Ruth chapter 3. And so if if you're just joining us for the first time today, uh, you can go back and watch past messages from our YouTube channel. Uh, That way you can get up to speed on our time in the book of Ruth, this beautiful, bittersweet book. And the last two weeks, pastors Delaney and Amanda have shared with us about chapters one and two and so really quickly i'm just going to give you a short recap in a couple sentences i'm going to do my best so there's this israelite woman from judah named naomi who lives abroad with her husband sons and their local Moabite wives ruth and orpah then disaster strikes and naomi's husband and sons die leaving the three women widows And so overwhelmed by grief and poverty, Naomi decides to return to her hometown, Bethlehem. And despite Naomi's best efforts to cut her daughters loose, Ruth insists on going with her. And so when they arrive in Bethlehem, it's harvest time. And driven by their hunger, Ruth goes to glean in the fields of Naomi's distant relative, Boaz. It is then that Ruth encounters the fantastic favor of a noble man. And so what did we learn in the last two weeks? Well, we learned this. In chapter 1, we meet Naomi in her grief, her hopelessness, and her despair. But we establish that no matter the circumstances, the despair, and the brokenness of a situation, God is working in and through his people to fulfill his promises. Amen? Amen. And then in chapter 2, we see God at work through Boaz's radical generosity. Why? Because God has just been so good to him. Even in the dark days of the judges, Yahweh is extending his unrelenting and boundless love to his people, to those who do not deserve it, as Amanda told us, those who cannot earn it, and those who are far from him. That is the gospel. That is the good news that we now know in Jesus Christ, right? And so throughout this story so far, the chesed of God that is being revealed to us The surprising and wonderful loving kindness of God towards his people. And now, if you think you've heard enough about the love of God in this series so far, well, buckle up. We're not done yet. We're going to talk more about not only the breadth of God's love for you, but the depth of it and how deep and mind-blowing it is this morning. So my hope is this for you today, that you would just know how expansive the amazing love of God is for you. And not only will it change your life, but you will find rest in this unchanging truth. God loves you. And when God says he loves you, his saying, his speaking is his doing. And he will always do what he says. And so in his great love for you, he is constantly working toward your ultimate good and for his eternal glory. And so I want you to know this deep down in your bones today. I want to sink deep. And So... Uh, I've titled this message, Transforming Love, because that's what God's love does to us. But what does transforming love even look like? Well, we get a glimpse of it here in chapter 3. And what happens when three people are just overwhelmed by the goodness of God and how his great loving kindness is, is at work in their daily lives and decisions. And so I want you to see this. There's, there's this huge mood shift at the end of chapter 2 before we even get into chapter 3 so uh, 220 you know naomi hears about boaz's radical generosity towards ruth and she says this in verse 20 she says may he speaking of boaz be blessed by the lord whose kindness has for not forsaken the living or the dead this man is one of our redeemers and so something happened just then in the story so naomi instructs ruth to keep gleaning in the fields of boaz and what happens next is fantastic Three, three, and three. Chapter three reveals three visions of the gospel at work in the lives of three people. And so I'm going to show you what I mean today. And so let's get right into chapter three. So if you have your Bibles, your smartphone, you can swipe over to Ruth chapter three. This will be in the first half of your paper Bibles, a quarter way through uh, to the right. Or you can just follow along on the screen behind me uh, if you don't have your paper Bibles or you're just stuck on your phone so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to just walk through the text together, almost, almost like verse by verse, stopping here and there along the way so we can just hear what the original audience is hearing and put ourselves in the middle of the story to imagine the scene and to feel what is going on. And so let's get right into it. Starting in Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put your cloak on, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth, she replied, all that you say, I will do. See, here's what's happening. It's really important not to miss this. All of a sudden, Naomi, there has been this mood shift in chapter 2. And now she's taking initiative. She starts making plans for the future. She looks ahead for the first time in the story in this way. Why, friends, this is a vision of gospel hope naomi begins to see the divine providence in boaz's position in favor towards ruth she says my daughter should i not seek rest for you that it may be well with you you know to even seek rest to even imagine its possibilities to even hope for it and envision it as an alternate reality is something of hope and this is not the naomi who wanted to cut ruth loose in moab but now that she has seen the fingerprints of God in the mess of their situation, she begins to see things with new eyes. You see, Naomi's thinking big. The rest she's talking about is this word that is uh, used in the Hebrew, Manoah. And it, sometimes it's translated home. In the NIV, you'll see that. It, but it's so much more than food and shelter and security, though. Instead, Naomi wants to see Ruth find the true source of contentment and provision, She wants Ruth to have this sense of belonging, a people, a place of refuge, and now Naomi is seeing all the possibilities at play in their lives. Rest, though, isn't that what we all want? You know, if you're here today or you're sitting at home on your couch this morning, like true rest, isn't that what we all want? You know, it's been said that our, our strongest desires are not always our deepest desires. But deep down, isn't everyone just looking for a place to call home? And so for those of us who follow Jesus in this room and at home who are watching us online, isn't our deepest desire to find rest in a place of refuge? Let me ask you, if you're joining us today, this question. Shouldn't we seek rest so it might be well with you? Where are you finding rest today? There's all sorts of places we can go. Remember, sometimes our deepest desires are not our strongest desires. But if you're trying to find rest this morning, there's good news. God is gracious and he is loving. His arms are always wide open. and You can put your trust in him, and that produces hope. And the more we get to know God and reflect on all his, he has done his goodness, this hope increases. And this is what's happening in Naomi right now. Even in her desperate situation, hope is growing within her. And what does she do? She begins to seek that rest. She engages. You know what hopeless people don't do? They don't make plans. I see some of you shaking your head. They don't make plans. But this is exactly what Naomi does. And man, this has to be hope because this plan we're going to talk about today is a whopper. It's intense. Let me tell you about Naomi's plan. To be clear, yes, Naomi's plan is edgy and provocative. But I want to show you that it's not a measure of her desperation. Instead, it's proportional to the hope she has in Yahweh that is welling up within her. So much so that she wants to be part of what God's doing. She wants to partner with God in his redemptive mission in the... We talk about this every Sunday in the world. Why? Because of hope and the opportunity to be part of the redemptive plan. Is right now. And there's this urgency. And so we see this in the story. At this point, Ruth has been gleaning in Boaz's fields for like months now during the harvest. And Boaz, this is hilarious, he hadn't made a move yet. The harvest was almost over. And that night he would be processing the harvest on the threshing floor, and then it would be over. That Ruth wouldn't have a reason to be in his fields anymore. So what does Ruth need to do? Well, she needs to take this hope that she has found in the love of God and find favor in an instrument of his mercy Boaz so what does Naomi tell Ruth to do well she says it's time to get ready for a wedding like that's hope isn't it seriously Ruth you know it's it's funny but truthfully Ruth needs Boaz to redeem her as a husband as nothing else but as as a husband and so let's get practical Ruth has been working in Boaz's fields for every day for a month now so We don't know the last time she had a bath, right? And Naomi, like, gets this. So Naomi says, wash up. Put on some perfume if you can find any, if we have any. You know, things are tight. Then Ruth Ruth is to put on her cloak, you know, because they're just so multifunctional. They're they're warm. They got great coverage. They're great for concealing and covering. And as wedding apparel, they're not that glamorous, but they'll, they'll work, right? And then this is special, you know. Not only is this how someone prepares for marriage, for a wedding, as a bride, but it also means that Ruth's mourning is over. She was a widow, but now she's actively preparing to be a bride. And this is the kind of hope Naomi had. And now it was being inspired in Ruth. And so what does Naomi tell Ruth to do next? Well, Ruth is supposed to go down to where Boaz was working and to lie and wait. And so. Boaz has been working all evening, so Ruth should approach with caution, wait until he ha- he's had something to eat, you know, hanger, you know, had something to eat, something, some nice wine to drink to warm his heart, but even then, she's to wait. And then she is to wait until he goes to sleep, and to be careful to see where Boaz lies down, because it's dark, right? There's no lights. This is in a rural place in the country, you, and you don't want to approach the wrong guy in the middle of the night, right? can get dicey. And, and, and in fact, this is where the intensity increases. Once Boaz is asleep, Naomi instructs Ruth to go to him and uncover his feet and lie down. And then Boaz would tell her what to do. Now, if Naomi told this to uh, us, we would ask her, are you sure about this, Naomi? <laughs> like, how much moldy bread have you had today, right? Because this plan, it's a whopper. It has to be hope. But you got to love Ruth, what does she think of these instructions? She's like, "I'll do everything you say, Naomi." And this is what I think about Ruth in her response. I think Ruth is thinking, "That's what I'm talking about, Naomi. Welcome back to the party, right? You had a hard time. I get it, but welcome back. This is hope." And you see, church, this is what hope does: it changes how you think and see things, and it's contagious. It spreads, and many. Of you know the way Naomi felt back in chapter one personally. You know that hopelessness and despair, that feeling. And if you're like me, the, and the stats say that at least a quarter of you are, you've been depressed before. And for some of you, it's physiological. And for others of you, it's because you've, you've experienced great loss and trauma. And usually, you know, it hits me every year around this time when it gets dark. Do you feel that? that seasonal affective disorder but this is what it's like in your head you know you know that the sun still shines and that things are objectively good in your life but your body aches you're still tired you're so tired and you're moody and that darkness it can cloud and obscure your thoughts and your perspective perspectives and for the time things can really seem bleak and dark because of a situation or an environment. But listen, the truth is the love, loving kindness of God gives us new sight. Even then, even now, the snow on the ground in shorter days gives us new eyes. And as a result, a renewed hope that reframes everything we think, say, or do, or see. It reminds our souls that God is good and he's working. Then it allows us to be active partners again in the redemptive plan of God, no matter what is going on. In this city, in our greater culture, in our lives. All these things swirling around us. See, Naomi just lost sight of Yahweh for a moment. But once she saw the loving kindness of God unfolding before her, she fixes her eyes on him again. And so if you're here today, and it's okay if you are, and you're feeling hopeless. Some of you have heard me say this before, but I'm not going to quit saying it. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Do you want hope? Look at what God is, look for what God is doing in the world and chase it down. Because God loves you and he's just waiting to show you how much. And so like Naomi, the more we experience God's love, the more hope fills us. And that's not it, there's more. So what happens next in the story? Verse 6 and 7 tell us that Ruth does exactly, well almost exactly as Naomi says. And so we'll pick it up, verse 7 What happens next well when boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile and ruth approached quietly uncovered his feet and lie down and so what's happening here ruth smelling fresh in her cloak and by the cover of night ruth goes down to the threshing floor and the, the fresh threshing floor is this rocky area area outside the the town of bethlehem where farmers process their harvest. And what they do is separate the grain from the husk. And it's pretty impressive how they do it. They would spread out the bundles of barley uh, and then tread on them in the rocky surface. And this would separate the grain, which is the desired part, the yummy part, from the husk, the undesired part, stuff we don't need. Then they would take a winnowing fork and throw the treaded barley in the air and the wind would blow away the chaff or the husk, but the heavier grain would fall to the ground. And so this was really intensive labor, but if you kept at it, you would end up with a nice pile of grain ready for eating and storage for the winter. And so Boaz is there with his farmhands processing his barley harvest at night, and that's when the wind is perfect, right at night. It calms down, it's not too gusty, then they can eat afterwards, they can sleep, and just guard the fruit of their labor until morning when the grain is ready to go to storage. And there is Ruth waiting in the bushes under the cover of her cloak in the darkness of night, just waiting and watching. And so here Ruth does what Naomi instructs, well, well almost. She does most of what Naomi instructs her to do. So Boaz would have been tired and hungry, so she waits until he winds down. She waits until he had some food and wine, until his heart was merry and note, the text doesn't say that Boaz was drunk, but the wine was doing him some good. He was ready for bed. And still, Ruth is waiting and watching. But it, it, it's almost creepy, isn't it? But the, God is doing something in here, I assure you. It's dark out, and just as Naomi said, she needed to pay attention where Boaz would lie down to sleep because she couldn't approach just any old guy, right? It had to be Boaz as a husband. Remember that? And so when some time had passed... And she knew Boaz was fast asleep. She moved softly by the cover of darkness to Boaz's side and uncovered his feet just as Naomi instructed and lied down beside him. And so let's take a moment just to address the elephant in the room. This is a precarious, provocative scene, right? If you've ever looked into this book, that's the debate. And there's some debate over the possible sexual overtones of this approach and its romance in the air. Here's the issue. In the Hebrew, the words to Uncover feet and lie down are possible idioms for sexual engagement, right? And in the ancient Near East, sexual activity on the threshing floor was common practice uh, among pagans and idol worshipers. And finally, these were wicked days, the days of the judges, where everyone did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And so even the average Israelite did whatever they wanted. But let's think about this. Sure, there's this romantic air to Ruth's actions. But nothing about Ruth's intent and approach is seductive or sexual. First, Ruth is looking for Boaz to redeem her as a wife to secure Naomi's family, inheritance, and name. She's not looking for a late-night sexual transaction. Second, Ruth prepares herself as a bride, not as a seductress. Not only is she too poor to have fine dress, adornment, and probably any fancy perfumes, She is wearing a large cloak in the middle of night. You wouldn't even have seen what she's wearing if she were bring her A-game, you know? If she was bringing her A-game, it would be all for naught. It would be useless. It's too dark. She's too poor. Um, That's not how she's dressing herself. She's doing what she can to dress herself as a bride, to prepare herself as a bride for a groom. Third, Ruth waits until all the work is done. Dinner is over. They've had some wine. And Boaz is content and has already gone to sleep. She didn't arrive early, you know? Strutting her stuff in her best dress. Fancy hair, trying to get Boaz's attention across the bonfire. No, that's not what she did. And finally, there's a real practical reason why Ruth uncovers Boaz's feet. It was just a really subtle way to wake him up at the opportune time and assume the correct posture of someone who needs refuge. So it doesn't add up but every step of the way naomi's instructions and ruth's actions are tempered with caution and self-control why well these ladies are bold we're getting that here but they're not naive see ruth is actually breaking the mold here in a lot of ways she's a poor foreign woman in a strange land coming uninvited to the threshing floor to propose to a man while he sleeps is it provocative yes but does ruth know why she's there yes why because she has seen that boaz is a noble man who's being used by god as an instrument of his mercy and they are convinced by the loving kindness of god that they, he has shown them that they are just so confident that he is at work right here in this moment in this scene at threshing floor and so this is not the typical uh, picture of excess and unbridled passion that we have come to expect in our culture and in the days of the judges It's a vision of gospel saturation. Gospel saturation. Let's keep reading to see why. Starting in verse 8. So, what happens? Ruth is lying down at Boaz's feet in the middle of the night. Verse 8: In the middle of the night, something startled the man, Boaz, and he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. So what happens in this scene really quickly? Ruth uncovers Boaz's feet and lies in wait. Then something startles him and wakes him up. Some think it's just that, that sense that we have that someone is nearby when our eyes are closed. And there is someone there. It's Ruth. But also at nighttime, you know, the wind is blowing through the hills. It's getting cold. Boaz and Ruth have their, both have their cloaks on, but Ruth has uncovered Boaz's feet. And all it takes is one little breeze across his shins, and Boaz is in Chillville, right? You feel that? It's like when my wife comes into bed with her icicle feet, and it's instant ice town. Mm. Subtle. So naturally, Boaz jerks awake, and he's all disorientated, and he sees this woman's silhouette at his feet, and it's it's naturally it's, it's you expect it's startling unexpected what is happening to him so you can just imagine him, who are you or maybe he's like who are you no it, we have to imagine but that seems like a reliable question for the situation and this is the question we're all asking from the beginning aren't we who is ruth we have this bizarre plan, this sketchy nighttime scene, and we're wondering where this is all leading. And, you know, if you've read Genesis, it's not always PG. So this can go one way or another. So we're asking ourselves, who will Ruth be in this situation? The worthy and noble woman or the desperate, anxious, needy immigrant from Moab? And then it's interesting. The threshing floor in the, is a common theme of separation in the Bible. Its imagery is often referred to as a picture of judgment, the righteous from the unrighteous, the wheat from the chaff. In the Gospels, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, tells us that Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his message is this, the Lord is gathering a wheat harvest, but the chaff will be burnt up. Those who are moved by his spirit will be gathered to him, and those who are, are not face their own destruction. And so in this sense, the threshing floor really is not a safe place. There is inherent risk both now and eternally. It separates the righteous from the unrighteous, but it's also this place of refuge and gathering. The kind of hope that Ruth has is not without risk. there at the threshing floor. And in the same way, doing what is right and trusting God is not always safe. Sometimes doing what is right is uncomfortable. It's unpopular. It goes against the current and the grain of our culture. So Ruth does not play it safe. She does not stay home and starve. So who is Ruth? And so in the story, this is where Ruth goes rogue and improvises, and we're just so glad she does, right? She's not even supposed to answer Boaz. Naomi instructs her to wait, and then he will tell her what to do. Instead, Boaz instinctively asks her, who are you? Who is this woman? And Ruth does not disappoint. And so at significant risk to herself, Ruth communicates two very subtle yet clear messages. First, she refers to Boaz's very own words from chapter 2, a common phrase that suggests marriage, relationship, spread your wings over your servant. You see, a bridegroom would spread the edge of his garment or cloak over the bride to indicate that she has taken refuge with him in the protection of his marriage vow. Second, she refers to herself as his servant, but she did it just as she did in chapter two. But this time she uses a slightly different variation of the word servant. She says that she is his servant, Amah, which suggests relationship, not just service. And this is the best. You know, only Ruth could do this. In chapter two, Boaz is amazed by Ruth. Then he blesses Ruth And prays that the Lord of Israel, under whose wings she has sought refuge, will reward her for all that she has done for Naomi. And now, using Boaz's own words, she is telling him that he can be the answer to that prayer. It doesn't get better than that. And so you might call this guts, which it is, or entitlement, which it could be. But isn't that just really beautiful and amazing? You see... The loving kindness of God inspires the righteous to do good. It's no longer just about avoiding evil. Those he has loved want to do good. There's this strong contrast to the day and the culture and to do good to one another. And how do we do good? Well, it's not in our own strength. It wasn't because Ruth and Boaz were just heroes of the faith. But it's because they had seen traces of his redemptive hand at work. He had shown his love to them. And now they were taking refuge in him. And they they knew he would never let them down. See, God stakes his glory and his name on that. And you can bet he will be glorified. And that his name will be lifted high. And so just like Ruth and Boaz, we approach with confidence and we leave full of faith. So when we go down to the threshing floors in our lives, if we want to use that metaphor, that place that separates the girls from the women, the boys from the men, the righteous from the unrighteous, we know where we will stand. Why? Because we have come to know the love of God. It has become so present, so large in our lives that things have changed. We have been changed by it. And now everything is motivated and done by, out of our gratefulness for his love. His love in our lives has grown so enormous that hopelessness worry and sin will not be overcome by it and so what separates us from the way of the world well it's the love of god and the good news for you and me today is that nothing can separate us from the love of god that's good news today but listen there's more not only does the redeeming loving kindness of God fills us with hope and inspire righteousness in places like the threshing floor but it satisfies those who are waiting and Ruth you know she had made this bold request to Boaz this wild marriage proposal and now everything hinges on his character and his answer and the fate the fate of Naomi and Ruth their welfare the family inheritance their name and so what does Boaz say well let's read his response together starting verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, which, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. And all the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. So stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he, if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. And so she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized and said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Boaz also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And When she did so, he poured six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town, and when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her, and added, He gave me th- these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So this is what happens here. Boaz doesn't hesitate. He knows exactly what Ruth asks. Marry me, Boaz. And he is both jubilant and chivalrous. Yeah, are there any chivalrous men left? Boaz is one of them. And again, he blesses Ruth for her boldness. And for she has shown him who she is, a noble woman of character. Bless you, daughter. This kindness is greater than the first one you showed, Naomi. You could have run after young men. But you came to me, so I'll do all that you ask. But wait, there is a wrinkle in the fabric of Naomi's plan thus far. As was their custom, the closest relative was first to have the opportunity of kinship redeemer. And there was another closer than Boaz. Now, if I was Ruth and Boaz, this would be pretty frustrating, right? Wait, there's one more thing. There's always one more thing, right? So what is a godly new couple to do? And so Boaz encourages them to wait. And there it is, again, someone somewhere pumping the brakes in our plan. And so Boaz says it here in several different ways. Stay here for the night. Lie here until morning. Then he Boaz go, gives Ruth some grain goes back to the town in the morning. Ruth goes home. And even Naomi tells her to wait. Well, Naomi, this was your plan. Wait. Tell me, how much do you guys like waiting? You don't. I get that. And if... We aren't struggling with despair or doing what is right. We are struggling with God's timing. But something tells me that Boaz already knew how to wait on God. He's been waiting for some time. And so as far as we know, he's an older man without a wife or any children. And there are two possible reasons for that. First, you know, Boaz, it's likely that he could have been a little shy, insecure, and not great with the ladies. I mean, There's a single lady, obviously in need of of a husband, working in her fields, and he wasn't getting the signals. You know what I mean? So maybe Boaz wasn't so great with the ladies. Or, second, Boaz was waiting for somebody, not just anybody, a worthy woman of noble character. And at that time, this might have been hard to find, but he found this type of woman in Ruth, in all of the people in Judah, a Moabite. And so, okay, Bible nerds, in the Hebrew tradition, the book of Ruth comes right after the book of Proverbs. And right at the end of Proverbs chapter 31, you know it, verse 10, the writer says, a blah, a wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth more than rubies. And so then, almost as proof of this very truth, the book of Ruth begins after the book of Proverbs concludes. A noble woman can sometimes be hard to find and i know there's some single ladies here today are like i'm right here you know like (laughs) you want to put your hands up (laughs) guys pay attention or it, it can be hard to find like apparently no one put their hands up okay but here's the point all their waiting the waiting of naomi ruth and boaz this waiting is a vision of gospel expectancy What would you do for something that's priceless what would you wait for would you wait for it boaz did and so what is that waiting like well for boaz he wasn't miserable or jaded when we find him in fact he was prosperous faithful and generous how here's my suggestion boaz was waiting but he wasn't empty the loving kindness of god satisfied him But after all of Ruth's boldness for a time, she returns home to Naomi, and the matter still isn't settled, and it's frustrating. And, you you know, do you feel that emotion? The aching of Ruth's heart for Boaz to be her redeemer. And so if you could put yourself in her shoes, if you know that feeling personally, don't miss this. The truth is, Ruth did not return to Naomi empty-handed. Let me explain. Boaz says something to Ruth before he... um, returns to town, and we only learn about it when she tells Naomi in verse 17. Boaz gave her six measures of barley and said to Ruth, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. See, Ruth was not his wife yet. They were not together yet, but she was not empty. And because of this, she knew Boaz would settle it in the end. This godly man knew how to wait, and now Ruth was learning how to wait too. So listen, friends, some of you are waiting You're not just in need. You long to see God's promises come to pass in your life. You long to see and know the love of God for you and at work in your life. And so I want you to listen to me right now. If you're waiting, God will not leave you empty. You may not be full right now. I know some of you are feeling pretty empty, it's getting pretty low but he will not leave you empty. And that's not it. Listen, there's more the loving kindness of God fills those who are waiting. And that's the true hope of every believer here today and online. In the end, he will fulfill every promise, God will, and not just in part, but completely. Then we will be full and we will be satisfied. And all of this is possible because of the transforming love that we know now in god's son jesus christ and so his love was so expansive so multifaceted so lavish and so much more than we can comprehend that he sent his son to die for us and so that we should not die in our sins but live in abundant life now and forever and you know jesus disciple john he says it this way in his letter in this the love of god was made manifest among you That God sent his only son into the world so that you might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be propitiation for our sins. Beloved, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In other words, John is telling us how the love of God transforms us. This is the love, this love is who God is. God is love. This love is how we know God. It changes us, and through us, it changes others. They know his love. And so today, my encouragement to you is to remain in that love. Because in this story, we have a God-exhilarated old woman, a God-dependent young woman, and a God-saturated man filled with faith by the loving kindness God has shown them. And what they do when their view of God is bigger than their situation and immediate desires. This is what happens when the story of God's goodness towards his people becomes your story. And we become become more certain of God's redemptive work at play in our world. Unapologetically and boldly dependent on him and willing instruments of his mercy. So cross point, what would happen if we had a greater knowledge and experience and understanding of God's love for us? Imagine seeing hope in dark and despairing situations. Imagine confidence to do righteousness without, uh, with, with great love. Imagine if we were to offer ourselves to be instruments of mercy. Imagine if we waited on God until he met with us. What would happen if we did that and we just started walking around this neighborhood? I imagine that God's love would transform us our friends our neighborhoods in the city but today the truth is some of us are a little bit stuck and so there's work to be done I know some of you are hurting and depressed and you can't see past it some of you are struggling with the confidence to do what's right you're feeling isolated and unloved others are just in a hard season of waiting and longing and the good news is that Christ has made provision for that in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so we can boldly take these problems, these things to God and believe together that God will work in us. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to engage in a time of Holy Spirit ministry through prayer. Um, so I'm going to invite uh, my prayer team up to the front and, and Vicki to play some piano to create an uh, environment of prayer. And so, listen, at Crosspoint, uh, you may have come to learn this. We do this all together, but not in the same way. So there's a couple ways that you could respond this morning. You could come up to the altar to receive prayer from our team. They'll be ready for you. Or you can just pray with a friend or neighbor in your seat. Or you could even reflect, contemplate, and talk to God directly by yourself, silently. That will work too. There's no limits to what the Holy Spirit can do. But here are three ways that you might pray today. First, if you're hurting, hopeless, depressed, or grieving, I want to invite you to just really simply invite God to reveal himself to you in your situation, to comfort and console you. Second, if you feel isolated or stuck in your sin, unlovable, I want you to pray that God would reveal his love to you in a larger measure. That it would sink deep down in your soul today. And finally, if you're in a waiting season, I've been there, and you're spiritually hungry for more, you're just longing for a move of God, I want you to seek that in prayer with someone else, either in your seats or with our team, because we believe he will He will not leave us empty. And so now um, Vicki's going to play, and I'm going to invite you to pray and pursue God with us, and I'll start by praying, and I'll invite you to pray with us. Let's pray. Lord, we're just so thankful for your love. For your son, Jesus. Um, without, without it, we would have no hope. Without it, we wouldn't have it. confidence. And uh, yeah, there would be no fullness without you now or tomorrow. And in the future, our coming king. So Jesus, we just... Uh, we approach you now uh, as beggars in need of your love, as sons in need of their fathers. Um, so Lord, we uh, we admit our shortcomings and brokenness, and we just uh, ask through your Holy Spirit that you would love on us this morning. We thank you, we pray. Amen. Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton. And throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.